Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit will truly take control of the words of my mouth and the meditation in our hearts. It cannot be said too often that we are living in critical days. And the urgency of the hour is in our homes and ultimately in the church. So I pray that you will deliver me from idle words. I pray, Father, that none will hear a mere man speaking, for this is the word of God. Open our understanding to your truth and let us hear what God will say to us especially as men, in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, and perhaps for another Sunday or two, we will explore what it means to be a husband. I want to say immediately that this text and the text to follow will not be presented to you by a perfect husband. I make no such claim. You can ask my wife. However, I think that it is essential that we as men hear what God has to say to us because the hour in which we are living, the hour in which we're living, the period, the time, calls for the kind of husband that God describes in the text. John Piper writes this, Few things are more broken in our day than manhood and headship in relation to women and the families. The price of this brokenness is enormous, and it touches almost every facet of life. And so I am praying in the light of what Dr. Piper has to say, that God will help us as men to reach for that which God has designed, and as women to desire from the man what God has designed from the time immemorial I struggled over this text over the past several days. I struggled not because I don't believe it. I struggled because I had to ask myself the question, have you been desiring what God desires for you as a husband? And I I confess that I, I found myself having to answer, I do, Lord, but I have a long way to go. And I mean that. Nothing grasp my heart more than to be to my wife what my Lord says I am to be so that she will have in me a man in whom she wants to submit herself. One of the most amazing things I find in the scriptures 
is that Eve was the one who ate the fruit. And when God came looking for those who had become estranged from him, not that he didn't want to speak to Eve, but he spoke to Adam. He spoke to Adam because in in the design of God, the concern was that God would have Adam to exercise leadership, headship, for the wife and for the family. And it is interesting that when, when Satan was going to bring temptation into the world, he bypassed Adam and went to Eve. And so you can see how from the very beginning, the concern was to try to undermine what God has designed. And it is still going on. We spoke to wives, or God spoke to wives a few Sundays ago. God speaks to wives. And verses 22 and 33 are God's words to the wife. Submission, respect. And now we come to the husbands. What does God have to say to a man who becomes a husband? The first thing that God does, he gives him an assignment. An assignment. Husbands. That's an assignment. None of us is born as a husband. It's an assignment given to us by God by which he brings a man and a woman so that they become one flesh, and that one flesh is called husband and wife. But what the Apostle Paul is going to do, as he begins this whole process of saying what a husband is supposed to be like, he presents to the husband a model. Look, look at what he says in verse 20, 25. Or perhaps verse 23, then 25. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ. Now here's the model. God doesn't put Denzel Washington before us. He doesn't put Sylvester Stallone before us. He says, as Christ. So the model for a husband is not someone who has been born of, of, of a man and a woman, but the Christ who came into our world. Christ is set before the husband as the model, the one who demonstrates what a husband ought to be to his wife. What God requires of him. A husband who is not committed, connected to Jesus Christ, cannot display what, Christ is, what Paul is going to say, God is saying. He has to be born again. He has to come into a relationship with Christ where he is changed. Because remember, dear friends, none of us, none of us is born with the qualities that God calls on us to display to our wives. <laughs> I, I smile when I, when I say that. Uh, because because I, I, I tell couples, and I do, when I counsel young couples for their wedding, I, I will say to them at, at the beginning, I said, you know, friends don't get married. Enemies do. And they look at me. Are you kidding? Well, well friends, it's true that friends get married. 
But oh, if only you knew afterwards, before you said I do, you wonder. And, and I think it's wonderful that God does not display to us all the qualities of a husband, the ugly qualities of a husband and the ugly qualities of a wife before the marriage. Because you know what the, you know what the, the, the disciples said when Jesus told them what the requirement for marriage is? You know what they said? It is better for a person not to get married. They looked right into the face of Christ and said it is better not to get married. Yet God has designed this institution. So, so unless we are born again, we cannot display these qualities that's going to be called for. We'll see in a minute. So neither, you know, one, one of the programs that I still like to, to, to watch is Leave it to Beaver. And one of the most interesting things I always notice with Beaver is, isn't it, have you ever noticed this? He always gets left holding the bag. He never wins, but his father always comes to his rescue. <laughs> it's a very interesting thing. But let me suggest to you that the best that Hollywood can offer does not meet the requirements of God. The best that Hollywood could offer. Father Knows Best and Leave It to Beaver and all the other programs. And of course, now, today of course, Hollywood makes a mockery of husbands. Just look at everybody loves Raymond. A Christian husband will bring into a marriage qualities that are absent in the best of the non-Christian marriage. I'm not saying that a non-Christian marriage cannot be good. Of course it can be. But it does not have the depth or the height or the width that God has called the husband to display to his wife. What then does a husband bring in to a marriage that the world does not have. Grace. Grace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his actions might become rich. Grace. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Grace comes not to what? Uh, let me put it this way. Grace does not come to see what it can get. Grace comes to give what it has. So, so, so when I say that a husband brings grace, a husband does not enter into a relationship with his wife for what he can get out of the relationship. He comes to bring into that relationship as we shall see over the next couple of Sundays. That's why, see, that's why Christ is a model because Christ brings grace in the relationship with the church. It is grace that is the motivation for what he does for the church, what he gives to the church, how, 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 how he blesses the church, all of grace. So that... that a husband brings that kind of grace, as we shall see, into the relationship 
so that the Christian marriage, the husband and the wife, no other development, the husband and the wife with Christ has the ingredients for what is known as a happy marriage. Not an easy marriage, but a happy marriage. A friend of mine back in Toronto said to me, we were talking about this, and he said to me, husband and the wife stood outside a shopping mall having a heated discussion. And the wife lifted up her head and saw a young couple on the other side and said to her husband, why can't we be like that couple over there? And he said, be careful, they might be saying the same thing of us. <laughs> You'll get it later on. We look at the outward and we think everything is, is okay. And all of a sudden we hear something and we say, I can't believe it. Somehow, my friends, grace was not displayed. No marriage, no matter whose it is, ever arrives at the place of maturity and joy without working through together difficulties that brings them to that place. No marriage. doesn't matter whose it is. Mine included. That's because we live in a fallen world. I take again the words of Elizabeth Elliot to, to her daughter. When, when she was getting married and the daughter was getting married, she said to her, Honey, angels don't have marital problems for one reason. Angels don't get married. Sinners do. That's what we, that's what we come with, friends. And, and, and this idea that, that, that we can do it on our own is not possible. So Paul says, Husbands, you are to look to Christ, to see what he brings in his relationship to the church so you can pray and labor in your, in your walk with him that you can give the same thing to your wife because your wife models the church for the world and you models Christ. So that's our model. One of the things I usually ask young couples, I say, will say to them, who do you think you would like to have your marriage to be like? once you get married. And it's interesting what some of them will say. And many of them see their, their parents as, as models for them, for which I am thankful. Well, that's the model. Let's look at the ministry of the husband then. Remember I said he comes to serve. He doesn't come to be served. Because Christ did not come to be served. So the ministry of husband. Look again in verse 22. Uh, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior, the savior of the body. He himself. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head, but he is the savior. So he brings into the relationship something that can rescue the relationship from catastrophe. That's what it means to be the Savior, from destruction. So just as Christ came to deliver us from destruction, a husband enters into the relationship of marriage to save God's order under God's direction so that he can display, he and his wife can display God's redemptive process in the world. 
That little word again, as, as, as. To be the Savior means that, that Christ exercises authority and he sustains. That Jesus came into the world to deliver and to protect the church. Husbands then bring the same into the marriage relationship that Christ brings to the church. He seeks to lead it to growth and to maturity. Christ is the Savior that produces health. So a husband is the source from which the wife produces qualities that without him being to her what he has been called to be, it does not develop into that relationship. The order of the home is the result. Uh, no, let me, let me correct that. The order of the home, where the husband is the head and the wife submits, and the husband, as we shall see what that means, I've described that in the past, that head doesn't mean domination. It, it doesn't mean dictatorship. It means one who provides, one who serves. Christ said, I am your Lord, yet I serve you. So it's not a matter of exercising authority over the, the, the wife. It's bringing service to the wife that produces the desire for submission. But please listen. The order of the home is not the result of sin. The order of the home is not the result of sin. Please listen. Sin disrupted the order of the home. It was sin who caused, which God had before there was sin in the world. Adam and Eve ex existed in a relationship where God walked with them day by day. And he made Adam first, then Eve, and gave the instruction. Adam gave name to Eve. So that order was there. But sin came and disrupted the order. And as a result now, we come and we look upon this relationship as though sin is the cause of what has happened, or what is happening. And the scripture says, no. The order was there before sin entered the world. The marriage relationship will be enhanced by what the husband brings into the marriage because he has come to provide the order that God had before the fall. I feel somewhat like a teacher doing this, but it's, it's, it's so important. Secondly, let's look at the advocacy of husbands. I use that word deliberately because an advocate is one who supports or defend or act for the good of another. Now we get to verse 25. This is our text this morning. And this, this is a command, by the way. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? It doesn't say husbands, love your wives if. See, the model is not what my wife is doing. The model is Christ who loved me. And we want to explore this word this morning for a few minutes. What does it mean for a husband to love his wife? 
there are three main words in the Bible, perhaps four, for love. One is phileo, from which we get the idea of brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo. The, the, the second is eros. We don't use the word in the Bible. Erotic comes from that word. It's scarcely used in the Bible at all except in negative terms. The next word is agapao. This is the word that's here. What is the source of this word? It is the word that describes God's love for sinners. God's love for sinners. Not for perfect people. We read in, in, in uh, Romans 5 and 8, God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. <laughs> I, I remember the first school I attended the president and his wife were celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary. And I don't know how many years had gone by since I was at the school because I was a student and then on the staff. But she got up and she said this, Ernest and I have been married for 45 years and we have never had a word of disagreement. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. That's when I lost my respect for her. You could never live 45 years in the same room with a person, my friends, and, and, and not have a word of disagreement. Unless you don't talk. <laughs> That's why grace is needed. That's why grace is needed. See, 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 love, this kind of love, let me suggest to you, it is an, it is an order from God, Ephesians 5.25, but it's an order that speaks of having an attitude or a disposition of love. I'm not even giving you a description of it at this moment. Love is an attitude or a disposition. This is what should be there. And like I said to couples that I'm counseling, love doesn't keep a marriage together. Commitment does. Commitment does. Love, love is, 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 the, is, the, is the, the fuel that, that, that gives light. But that relationship is maintained by commitment. I'll show it to you in a minute. So one, this is what it, it means to have an attitude of or a disposition. Two, Colossians 3.19. Love now, the same word love, but this word now is an action word, not a disposition, disposition word. It's an action word. You are going to show your love by what you do. How you relate to. The things you do for. I, I ask myself, I don't know if I should say this, and, and, and I, I feel it, it fits here. 
husband and the wife had a, a real big one before he went to work. I mean a big one. And he left home without saying goodbye. He was so angry. He got to work, he couldn't do his work, and he sat down and he thought, what a fool I have been. I should not have done what I, what I did. I tell you what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to leave work early today. And I am going to buy a dozen roses. And I'm going to take them for my wife. So, with good intention, he bought the dozen roses. On the way home, he thought, you know what? I'm really going to be romantic. I'm going to ring the doorbell. And when she opens the door, I'm just going to sweep her off her feet, take her inside, sit on the couch, and I'm going to say to her, Honey, I left home this morning really angry. I'm really sorry. Please forgive me. I should not have done that. So, keeping his word, he went home, rang the doorbell. She opened the door. There he was, off her feet, on the couch, sat down. Honey, I am so sorry. I left home this morning in a way I should not have left home. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And she began to weep. I mean, she is weeping. (laughs) I gave her the flowers. Oh, then the tears just really flowed. And he could not understand. Why are you crying? I've told you I'm sorry. She, She said, yes, we had a fight this morning. The kids got to school late. The dog and the cat fought all day. And now you come home drunk. (laughs) Action. Would certain things give my wife reasons to believe that I'm drunk because I'm doing them? This, my friends, is what... Colossians 3 is talking about action that demonstrates love. Love is there. And here are actions. I'm going to tell you, this spoke deeply to my heart. I ask myself, what action have I shown to my wife lately to let her know that she's loved? So number one, Ephesians 5, is the disposition of love. Colossians 3.19, the demonstration of love. But there's a wonderful word in Philippians 1.9. Philippians 1.9. Listen to this. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment, so that love is progressive. Love grows Love begins to demonstrate itself in ways that that only as one goes from one to two can one know what they are. That you don't surprise your wife giving her reasons to believe you're a drunk. That you may grow in your love. Let let me tell you very quickly, there's a demonstration of this in Genesis 24, 6-7, where Isaac is seeing Rebekah for the first time Had never seen her before. And when Isaac saw Rebekah, 
The scripture says in verse 67 of Genesis 24. He married her. She became his wife and he loved her. Do you get it? We always start out the other way. We love, we get married, and then we stop loving. The text says, here's a man who had never met this wife before, but she's becoming his wife now. And she is going to go through the process of Colossians 3.19, although it wasn't written at the time. And he's going to demonstrate, and he's going to progressively learn how to love his wife. Had never seen her before, but she became his wife, and he loved her. The husband then comes into his marriage relationship not to be waited on, but to wait on. The grounds for this, my friends, the grounds for this is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, Love does not seek its own. Listen, listen to this. Proverbs 10, 12. Love covers all transgressions. It doesn't ignore it. That's not the word, idea of the word covers. I'll tell you what it means in a minute. Proverbs 17, 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love. 1 Peter 4, 8. Love covers a multitude of sins. Do you know what the word covers mean? To hide. To seek to provide a remedy for it in secret. It doesn't go all over the place telling what the shortcoming of the other one is. So that when the husband speaks of his wife, he realistically speaks of a person who, who, who is a human being who has flaws like everybody else, but nobody knows what those flaws are. Because love covers a multitude of sin. It is to put a lid over. It's to say, this is where I draw the mark. It covers. It hides. It loves to a degree where it is willing to take on the weakness of the other. You can see why the disciples said to Jesus, better not to get married. It's better not to get married. It, it looks to, to rescue, to rescue, not to give an announcement. But I want you to see the intensity of his advocacy. Look, look at what it says. Ephesians 5 again. Christ loved and gave himself up for her. Gave. The definition of love is not uncommon. And, and what I wanted to show is, is how, what this word give or gave or gives means. There are three things I want to bring out from this word give or gave. One, when a husband loves his wife, he surrenders himself. Self-surrender. In other words, commitment. Love begins not by I am going to see 
what you is going to what you will do so that I am able to live with you. No, it is what I am going to do so that you will want to live with me. That's what it is saying. As a, as a head, the husband does not claim his right. He assumes his responsibility. As a husband, I don't enter this marriage to please myself, but to share myself with my wife. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Seek the good of the other, the, the other over yourself. You think that doesn't take death. That's the reason the second meaning of the word to give means self-sacrifice. He gave himself. He gave himself. The degree of a husband's love is demonstrated by the cross he's willing to carry for the success of his marriage. The depth of my love is sealed by my willingness to die in order to save it. Christ pleased not himself, says the apostle in Philippians, uh, Romans 15, 2. He pleased not himself. And gentlemen, may I say this to you and to me, as I said several times in my study. That when our wives fail in any way at all, are we cross-bearers? Are we willing to die in their place so that they do not become the victim? I become the victim on their behalf. Look, 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 at, look at this. It's a substitutionary service. Look at, look at the little word. And gave himself up for her. For her. See, nowhere is the wife to give herself up for me. I am to give myself up for her. I am to be willing to take up the cross against myself, against my rights, against my own desires. And so that, that just as Christ was willing to take all the ugliness of the church and took it upon himself and die for it, so I myself am called to follow Christ and to die just as he did in my marriage for the success of it, and just as he did for the success of the church. Self. Love seeks not her own. Let me close with two illustrations of this. How love works. When Annie Morrow met Charles Lindbergh, he was a national hero. He had won $40,000 for crossing the Atlantic, and he was flying from city to city promoting aviation. Annie's father was ambassador to Mexico, during Lindbergh's visit to Mexico for the State Department, a love began between the two young people, which was to bind them together for 47 years. Annie was like her husband, shy and retiring. But despite tragedies in their lives, and despite being married to a man always in the limelight, she went on to become one of America's most popular authors. Describing their marriage, she gives a clue to the success of her marriage to Charles. Listen to what she said. To be deeply in love is, of course, a great liberating force. And most common experience that frees or liberates. Ideally, 
both members of a couple in love free each other to new and different worlds. I was no exception to the general rule. Here it is. The sheer fact of finding myself loved was unbelievable. Finding myself loved was unbelievable. And changed my world, my feelings about life and about myself. I was given confidence, strength, and almost a new character. The man I was to marry believed in me and what I could do. And consequently, I found I could do more than I realized. To be loved. Oh, friends. When, when, we're told, when Paul said, God loved me and sent his son into the world for me. That gives me a sense of belonging. So, so Animar was saying, to be loved by another person just liberated me and gave me the sky's the limit, so to speak. Because I was loved by someone. But demonstrating this love is what takes my attention. Every time I read this, and I've done it before, it never ceases to break me up inside with a great sense of sorrow yet with joy. This is the cost of love. Robert McQuilkin was president of Columbia Bible College. Some years ago, he had to resign his position because of his wife, Muriel. Muriel was suffering with the advanced stages of Alzheimer's disease. In March 1990, Robert announced his resignation in a letter with these words. Listen. My dear wife, Muriel, has been in failing health for about eight years. So far, I have been able to carry on the ever-growing need of my leadership responsibilities at CBC, that's Columbia Bible College. But recently, it has become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the times she is with me and almost none of the times I am not with her. It is not just discontent. She is filled with fear, even terror, that, has, that she has lost me and always goes in search for me when I leave home. Then she may be full of anger when she cannot get to me. So it is clear that she needs me now more full-time. Perhaps it would help you to understand if I shared with you what I shared at the time of the announcement of my resignation in chapel. The decision was made 42 years ago when I promised Muriel to care for her in sickness and in health till death do us part. So, as I said to the students and faculty, as a man of my word, a man of integrity has something to do with this. But so does fairness. She cared for me, and sacrificially so, all those years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of debt. Duty. However, can be grim and stoic. But there's more. 
I love Muriel. She is a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of that wit that I got used to and relished, her happy spirit, her tough resilience in the face of her continuing distressing frustration. Please listen to this. I do not have to take care of Muriel. I get to take care of Muriel. Love. It is a high honor to care for such a wonderful person. We will see, my friends, in verses 26 and 27 and 28 what it means to be a husband who is a saver of his wife and their home. I trust that God has done something to you as he does, did for me in preparing this word from him, his word to you and that you will find time to reflect, men, upon what you're called to be as a husband and you, wife, will understand what happens when a husband is the kind of husband that God calls for. Let us pray. Father in heaven, oh God, I know that this is impossible without you. Neither submission nor love is possible without Christ. This is why the apostle began this series with be filled with the Spirit, for it is the Spirit-filled life that submits. It is the Spirit-filled life that loves. And I pray, Father, that your word this morning will give us a hunger and a thirst to be the husbands that God has called men to be so that wives will become, women will become wives willing to do what God has called them to do. In Jesus' name.